You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike, Pensacon, New Jersey. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. We've been working on the wisdom books here in the park. We've looked at Ecclesiastes, Job, and Proverbs. Just little tastes, really, of each of those books. And there's a whole world of thinking and feeling in, in each of these books that are all kind of right in the middle of the Bible. The, it's the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. And it also includes the book of Psalms, which is the biggest one. There are 150 Psalms. And I'm not even going to touch those because that's a whole other message series. So just getting a little taste here. The, the Bible was made to help us develop wisdom. What do we need for now? Like, that's what wisdom is. It's, it's, it's something that can fit into your life now. Not just knowledge, not just data, definitely not just rules. We need a way of being now that helps us see the world as it is now. And that's the way of wisdom. That helps us see the world as it is becoming. God is with us. Jesus made that abundantly clear to us. And the Spirit is revealing things to us even now. And that's why we should pray here as we begin, that this project would be fruitful. Pray with me. God, reveal something to us. Help us to see and feel and respond to what it is you're doing now. Make us wise, even those among us who feel like children or who are children. Grow us up right here. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Here's, I'm going to read in a second, Paul talking about wisdom to the Corinthians. And it seems that some of the Corinthians, you know, there's a book in the New Testament called Corinthians. There's two, two letters. Uh, it seems that they wanted to turn the wisdom of Christ into like a superpower that they could wield. They, they wanted a license to do whatever they wanted, and they found it in the liberating message of the gospel. They got this knowledge, they got this data, they got some new rules, and they started applying them according to their worldly understanding, their worldly wisdom. And in short, Paul's telling them here that they're kind of getting ahead of themselves. It's not like they're, they've got it all wrong, but just wait a second, we need some more development here. Paul starts off his letter to them trying to, to highlight the mystery that they are missing. There's something transformational that happens in relationship with Jesus that needs to happen first before you just go, you know, spreading your powers all over the world. They needed a different sort of maturity. And the part that I want to read is on circleofhope.net slash Newton Lake Park if you want to read along. It's 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 13. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 13. Yet among the mature, we do speak wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish, but we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, 
nor ear heard, nor human heart conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what, hap for what human being knows what is truly human except the human spirit that is within. So also no one comprehends what is truly God's except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we speak of these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. We look to the wisdom books of the Old Testament with this desire to teach and to learn the spiritual things by the Spirit. We're looking for that kind of transformation that Paul is trying to describe. How do we interpret from this mature spiritual perspective? The aim of the wisdom books is a dwelling in the deep things that are at the very heart of God. And you don't have to consider yourself a super deep person to let those things start working on you. This is about revelation, not uh, just technique. God is giving us something. You can trust God will use these books if you engage with them. And not just in your head or your understanding, the Corinthians came at their new knowledge in, in that way, in that kind of face value way. But there was something deeper that they were missing. There was the point down there that Jesus wanted to reveal spirit to spirit. So you can rest assured that even if you don't think you know what you're talking about, you can still get these books. There's a difference between knowing it and getting it, because it's operating on a different frequency. Oh, by the way, did you see what I just did there? I used the word frequency, like like y'all are radios or antennas, but but that was just how language works, right? There, we use these. We we rely on metaphors. Uh, Solomon, who 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 traditionally wrote the Song of Songs, he doesn't know what a frequency is. But when I'm talking about him to you, I can say he's trying to help you get to a different frequency. <laughs> That's It's this kind of contextual, culturally uh, seated experience that we're having here. These metaphors, they're happening all the time. I, I think actually all language is metaphor. Are you with me on that? You... I just think, like, I, I learned Spanish. I, I can speak Spanish. And learning a new language just kind of brings that all to light. Because you're learning all these phrases that don't uh, don't translate. Like, even, even Scott was just working with mercy and loving kindness. And it seems like there's something connected there. And we can kind of, like, you can kind of get that, right? You got that. Even if we're not even sure how the Greek works. We don't have to be biblical scholars. This isn't something that just happens in our head because this language, this this description can happen if only in a bunch of different languages. 
You know, I can describe el amor de Dios and the love of God. <laughs> Different words. Same thing. And so all the words that we use are provisional. And they're trying to get at something to help us get something as opposed to just know it and use it and, in the case of the Corinthians, sometimes abuse it. Today is Madeline Langle Day. Anybody know who Madeline Langle is? A Wrinkle in Time, she wrote. That's her famous book that Oprah made a movie about. Um, you didn't like the book? I didn't see the movie. Pat gives it a thumb down. Or is that just a thumbs down for Oprah? Okay, well, I didn't watch it because I love the book too much. Sometimes when books are too close to your heart, you don't want to watch the movie. Um, but on our, on our celebrating our trans historical body blog that we keep, it's Madeline Langle's day. She died on this day in 2007. Uh, she's a novelist, a poet, an essayist, and she spent her whole life trying to, to get at this deeper reality with story and metaphor. And, and here's a quote. It's also on circleofhope.net slash Newton Lake Park if you want to read along. Uh, it's just a perfect sentence describing this project. We draw people to Christ, not by loudly discrediting... I'm sorry, say that again. We draw people to Christ, not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. Worldly wisdom is the first part of that sentence. Loudly discrediting what they believe, telling them how wrong they are and how right we are. That's worldly wisdom. And I'm sure you've experienced that. I can say for myself that I have attempted this often. I confess to you. I regularly work this way, and then I wonder why I do. But you see the different frequency that she's recommending, right? The, the contrast in her beautiful sentence, which what, that's what authors give us, is beautiful sentences that just help us see it right there. She's got a different wisdom here. Let's show them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. Do you want to see that light? Do you know it yourself? Have you gotten it sometimes? Can you say you've seen it, at least some glimmer of it? I hope so. And if you're generous with yourself and your experience, I think I can say that I know you have. Humans were made to see this light. God made us to share this lovely light with us. Jesus came to make perfectly clear to us and destroy all that had accumulated around us to get in the way of our seeing it. This is what Jesus meant when he said that he came to proclaim recovery of sight for the blind. There's a light that we were made to see, and he helps us with that. Let's look for it here in Song of Songs, chapter 2. We're looking for this light that is so lovely. And here's a, a, a word of introduction that I got from Peter Lightheart, who's a, a, a biblical scholar. 
which will help us engage with it. Despite important variations in style and conclusions among ancient commentaries, the tradition about Song of Solomon was largely allegorical. Do you know that word allegory, where one thing represents another thing? The Song of Songs was viewed as an allegory of the mutual love of Christ and his church, of Yahweh's tortured love affair with the nation of Israel, and Israel's yearning for her promised Messiah, or as the longing of the individual soul for God. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, starts like this. I am the rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Have you ever heard Jesus referred to as the rose of Sharon or the lily of the valley? Have you ever heard this song? Jesus is the lily of the valley, and I will lay my burdens down. Sounds like a song we just sang a little bit. Jesus is the lily, he's the lily of the valley, and I will lay my burdens down. Oh. Okay, I'll stop. Um, what what is it? Jesus is the lily of the valley. This is where it comes from, right here, so Song of Songs, chapter two. But if you read the poem in its context, that's not Jesus. You know, it's a lover. It's this is a love poem. Let that go. Okay. Yes, you can do historical criticism. You can do literary criticism. We're not doing that right now. The Bible can have that done with it, and it's fruitful. And I read a bunch of stuff in preparation for, for this to, to kind of work through some of that. But let's just let Jesus be the lily of the valley, just for today, okay? If only for that song, so it makes sense to you next time you hear it. Or if you hear a grandma pray about the Rose of Sharon. Uh, as I read this, let's just let this be that kind of allegorical interpretation. This is a way to engage this text. It's about God's love for humanity and our reaching out back to God. All right? It's not everything. It's one thing for this story, for this poem. All right? So I'm going to read you all of chapter two, and you can read along at circleofhope.net slash Newton Lake Park if that's how you roll. Or you can just let this rest on you. And when the planes go by, I'll be quiet, and it'll rest even harder. One more word that'll help you. The NIV added um, headings because it looks like this poem is a dialogue. So we'll have the beloved and the lover talking back and forth. Beloved, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Lover, like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. Beloved, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall, and let his banner over me be love. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Listen, 
My beloved, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig trees forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. Lover. My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet, and your face is lovely. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. Beloved, my beloved is mine, and I am his. He browses among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the rugged hills. Amen. God loves you like these lovers love one another. God desires a relationship with you that is this kind of intense. Not only does God love you, but God really likes you everything about you. God delights in you. God thinks you're great and writes poems about how great you are. This is the lovely light that calls us to the source. We might not understand all the imagery. Don't forget this is an ancient text. The specifics are very specific. You might not like raisins. All these metaphors are very connected to the context of ancient Israel. And there are people that have dedicated years of their life to studying and exploring them. The author wrote something that would, would speak to the culture they lived in. That's how authors work. They're in their context. They're using a language that speaks to the people they're trying to get. But the really good ones, the ones that last for, for thousands of years later, they get at something deep about the nature of humanity's relationship with God. They get at something that's human, and so it can transcend. The revelation of Jesus is all about that relationship between God and humanity. So he fits very well into this poem. Even if the author wasn't aware of what Jesus would say about the mutual love he shared with the Father, or that he would invite us into it, all of humanity. The, the poem is clearly an invitation to engage God with our senses, with the, the, the fullness of what we can describe, like Madeline Langle is calling us to. How can we make this light seem lovely? Not Because we know it's loveliness, but how can we even tell it in a way that is lovely? It's about the senses. It's, it's sensual. And sensuality is not just sexuality. Certainly not. It's about delight. 
I delight to sit in his shade. Here we are in the shade right now. Can God be a part of this? All of this? Yes. Receiving the beauty of the world as a gift from our beloved. Yes. I think a, a major takeaway that I want to give you from, that we get from this poem and how it's written and how it can be applied is that we can trust our experience. You can trust your eyes and your ears and your skin and your heart. What ha what's happening in you now is God wrapping you up in the belovedness that you were made for. This whole creation is a love poem for you. Your enjoyment is not something to be ignored, dismissed, or suspected. It's for cultivating and sharing. This poem is eight chapters long, and the lovers go back and forth describing their desire for one another. And by the end, it comes to this kind of climactic point that if you just read it the first time, you might miss, but something's happening. They're talking back and forth, and then they get together. The, the, the lover goes out in the streets looking for her love. She's wandering the streets. Where is he? It's, it's a bit of a tortured affair. When is this going to come to fruit? And in the, in the last part, the last couple chapters, they're together, and the lover invites the beloved into the care of all his many orchards and fields. This is our invitation as well. And the way that we tend the orchards and the fields with God to join in this work of loving creation and loving what God is giving us is by tending that joy and receiving that, that love, receiving what, the air on your skin as a blessing, receiving the light through these green leaves as a, a love poem and reflecting it back to God. God is inviting us not just to, to appreciate, but to participate in God's work. It's God's work, and now it's our work, because we are God's and God is ours. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. The fullness of the maturity to which Solomon is leading us, to which Madeline is leading us, to which Paul is leading us, the wisdom that we can get from this is love, making love, making more love. This is our mission and our delight. So let us love the world. Let us love one another. Let us celebrate it in songs and poetry and all the things that give us a sense of what we are for. Let him lead me to the banquet hall and let his banner over me be love. Let his banner of love be the emblem of our life. Both of who we are, our identities, amidst all the identities the world puts on us, may God's love be above them all. And may the banner of love be our unifying purpose. We were made to be loved and to love. God's love over us means that 
there is enough love to go around. And how much does the world need people united by love and ready to share it readily in the here and now? It'll look different in each life and culture, like this poem looks different to us. But it's certainty that that, that deep wisdom that applies to all of us can be worked out by all of us in participation with God. It's big enough for each of us to stand under this banner and apply ourselves to it. So let us pray here that the Spirit of God helps us to understand these things and to share them with the delight and even the, the effort that our ancestors have brought to it. Pray with me if you will. Open our eyes, Lord, because you give sight to the blind, and it is your delight that we delight. The beautiful things we see are the beautiful things you made. And when we look at these trees or these birds or this beautiful sky or when we look at the mirror, let us see the beloved, beautiful thing you have made. And may we be brought into that co-working, cultivating, love-making purpose that you designed for us. Give us wisdom to see how that works out in each of our lives and as a community to see how Circle of Hope works it out as a body. We're asking in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.